I have learned a lot from this VHS sermon series these past four weeks. I hope you have as well. One of the things I learned was that a PG-rated movie in the 1980s is much different than a PG-rated movie nowadays, okay? You could get away with a whole lot more uh, in the early days of VHS, and that's certainly true as I rewatched The Great Outdoors this past week. Now, it's a great movie. Now, not only am I currently in The Great Outdoors, but also this movie was filmed at Bass Lake, just 30 minutes north of here. Uh, and the movie's about a vacation at a fictional lake in Wisconsin, Lake Potowoto Minimac. And uh, it involves two families, the Ripleys and uh, the, the Craigs. And Chet Ripley is played by John Candy, and he is hilarious. And Roman Craig is his brother-in-law, and he's played by Dan Aykroyd. Now, these two families, even though they are related, they are very, very different. Okay, the opening scene from the movie really lays this out for us. Uh, you see both families driving to the lake in separate cars. And you've got the Ripleys uh, in their station wagon, and they're singing yakety yak, don't talk back. And then the Craigs are curving those mountain hills uh, in their Mercedes. In the great outdoors, these two families, they try to have a good time together, but an endless series of misfortunes, uh, many disasters, thirsty leeches, cunning raccoons, and a mythical bald-headed bear threatens to ruin their vacation. And the whole movie is really just a contrast between these two families. The Ripleys are a close family, and they don't have a lot of money. The Craigs uh, are not so close as a family, but they've got a lot of money. And you see it clearest with their parenting. Check out this scene from very early on in the movie. Hello, Jerry Asmuth, please. Yeah, Roman Craig. Yeah, I can hold, but not for too long. I'm up in God's country here. My signal's kind of weak. <laughs> Honey. Yes, Norman. Why is it the Chet's kids look at him like he's Zeus? My kids look at me like I'm a rack of yard tools at Sears. I mean, why can't they connect with me? Uh, put a cork in it, honey. Talking business. Uh, in that scene, Roman says, How come Chet's kids look at him like he's Zeus, and my kids look at me like I'm a rack of yard tools at Sears? See, very early on in the movie, Roman Craig begins to question how he's been living his life. Uh, he, be, he begins to question these subtle remarks that, where he realizes that maybe life isn't what I thought it was. It wasn't just about money. What am I missing? Jesus addresses some of these questions in Matthew chapter 18. He says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, in the story, we see the disciples arguing about who is the greatest. And the Greek word here for greatest is myzon. And it's a word of comparison. It's, it means more. Uh, more is better. 
And the disciples are asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who, who's better? Who's more important? And this is not just a first century question that disciples of Jesus asked. This is a 21st century question that the disciples of Jesus must ask. And that we're stuck asking, who's greater? Who's better? Who has more? We're still caught in this game. We as a culture are obsessed with more, better, greater. Just go into a grocery store and you can see this on full display, right? In big letters at the end of the aisle, uh, Snickers peanut butter, 25% more. Man, I need that extra 25% of peanut buttery, chocolate, nougaty goodness. Uh, extra strength Tylenol. Has anybody ever seen strength Tylenol? No. No, because we need more. There's no such thing as strength. Uh, it's, it's, it's always extra, it's always more, it's always maximum. And then finally, double stuffed Oreos. This one hits home for me. No one gets single stuffed Oreos. If you eat single stuffed Oreos, you're gross, okay? It's about the double stuff. And now they have the mega stuff, mega stuff. More icing, yes, amen, more, greater. Mizon. This is what the disciples are asking Jesus. And then Jesus calls alongside himself a child and says that we need to be like that child. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, what in the world is he doing? We ask who's the greatest, who, who is more, and Jesus calls alongside himself this little two-year-old. The, the Greek is not this uh, older child. No, it, it's, it's a toddler. It's a toddler. In the ancient world, and even today, a child is powerless in society. They are the weakest. It can't care for itself, it can't work, it can't vote, it can't do anything apart from its parents. He or she is completely and utterly dependent on someone greater than themselves. We too should be completely and utterly dependent on someone greater than ourselves. This is how it should always be. But often, like the Craigs in our movie, our dependence becomes on money, and then money becomes our God, and we think that's what will sustain us, that's what will take care of us, that's what we live for. And we are grossly mistaken. And sometimes, when it comes to our kids, it's not about money, it's not about being rich or poor. With our families, the temptation is to make our kids experience rich and relationship poor. And the heart here is good, right? We want to give our kids what's best, right? And we want to give them the best. But here's what can happen. We make sure that they're experience rich, okay? They get in all the right activities. They get the best grades. They get into the right schools. They get into the best programs. They have all the best toys. They're experience rich, but all too often that leads to being relationship poor. Experience rich, relationship poor. And here's what we know of adults as they get into their 30s, 40s, and 50s. It is your ability to develop wonderful, loving, life-giving relationships that makes your life. Nothing else. It is about relationships. When your child turns 30, it won't be their experiences, their sports, their school, their activities that they draw from. It will be from their relationships. We need to be relationship rich. We can't be experience rich at the expense of relationships. 
and experiences are wonderful. I'm not trying to downplay experiences for our kids, but our temptation is to provide an experience-rich life for our family, often to the neglect of relationships. Everybody gets to gymnastics. Everybody gets to the game on time. Everyone gets tuition paid for, but we never have dinner together. We're busy, busy, busy. But I can't tell you the last time I looked at my child in their eyes and had a conversation with them for 10 minutes. We often measure our family life by our kids' activities or their GPA. We rarely measure the depth and maturity of their relationships. And those are what lasts. Those are what will sustain them as they grow into adulthood. Their relationships with their family and their relationship with God. Church and a little bit of God is just one of the countless activities that we can be engaged in. That's not the way it works, okay? God isn't a hobby. Following Jesus isn't Pilates. I once read of a story about a bicycle race in India. And the object of the race was to go the shortest distance within a specified time period. And at the start of the race, everyone was on their bikes at the starting line. And when the gun sounded, all the bikes went and as best as they could tried to stay put. Racers were disqualified if they tipped over or if one of their feet touched the ground. And so they would inch forward just enough to barely keep their bike balanced. And when the time was up, another gun sounded. And the person who had gone the farthest was the loser. And the person closest to the starting line was the winner. Imagine getting into that race and not knowing or understanding how it works. The gun goes off, you pedal as fast as you can, you're out of breath, you're sweating, you're fired up because all those losers are behind you, you're kicking butt, you think you're gonna break the world record, you don't let up, you keep going, and at last you hear the gun. The race ends and you're delighted because you're the winner, except for the fact that you are the unquestionable loser because you misunderstood how the race was run. There are eternal rules in this life and if you're running the race of life, assuming that whoever acquires the most stuff, whoever ascends to the highest, whoever is Mizon, whoever is greatest, if you're living your life like that, you're running the wrong race. That's not where the life is. It's about serving others in humility. It's not about power or position, but rather sacrificial love and a passionate pursuit of our living, loving God. Maybe we've been doing it wrong. Maybe money isn't the answer. Maybe our intuitions when we were younger were correct. And in the movie, The Great Outdoors, they're all having dinner together one night. And Chet says, tomorrow we're gonna cruise the lake on a pontoon boat. It's a great time, something my family and I have done. So it's great, pontoon boats are great. We, we, you can swim from them, you can barbecue up there, fit everybody on the boat. And then Roman says, kids, do you wanna cruise the lake in a pontoon boat? Or do you want to speed through the lake on a jet boat? What are you going to do in a pontoon boat? Retake Normandy? Everybody in the house, except for Chet, of course, chooses the jet boat. My question for us is this. Are we a pontoon family? Uh, a pontoon boat family? It's about us being together. Or are we a jet boat family? It's about bigger, better, faster. If you're a jet boat family, it may not work out. It doesn't for Chet Ripley. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, 
Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, nurture. Uh, the Greek word here is ektrepho, means to nourish, to nurture, to nurture to maturity, to build up, to relationally invest. That's what it's about. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. You see, we have a partner in the parenting process, and His name is Jesus. He never leaves us. He helps us. When we follow Jesus, when we trust Jesus, He makes our path straight. Throughout the movie, we see something beginning to grow in Roman. You see something, it's beginning to get revealed that his picture-perfect life, full of money, success, isn't quite what it seems to be. In these moments, these sparks, where the facade seems to fall down. And at the end of the movie, Roman saves, risks his own life, and he saves his two daughters from a dark cave filled with dynamite, and he fights off uh, the bald-headed bear of Clare County. In the end, he protects his family. He went beyond just providing for his family to protecting his family, to laying, potentially laying his life down for his family. This is Christ-likeness. There's growth in him and in his family. And at one point of deep honesty and vulnerability, Roman's wife says to Chet's wife, it's so lonely being wealthy. Ah, the real you. I see you right there. Robert Redford was once walking into an elevator and a fan notices him and says, are you the real Robert Redford? And he said, only when no one's around. These, these glimpses of the real person his wife says, it's so lonely being wealthy. Money isn't the answer. God's heart is for you and your family. And his focus is not for you to have all the best and to do all the best activities. His heart is for you to be close to each other and to be close to God. That's where the life is. And that's what the movie's about. And that's what Jesus points us towards. Relationship. I'll close with this short story about Jack and Mr. Belzer. It had been some time since Jack had seen the old man. College, girls, career, life itself got in the way, but Jack moved across the country for a job, pursuit of his dreams, and there in the rush and the busyness of life, Jack had little time to think about the past, and he had no time to spend with his own wife and son. He's working on his future. Nothing could stop him. Nothing was getting in his way. And over the phone, his mother told him, Mr. Belzer died last night. The funeral is Wednesday. Memories flashed through his mind like an old newsreel as he sat quietly remembering his childhood days. And so his mom repeats, Jack, did you hear me? And he says, I'm sorry, Mom, I heard you. It's just been so long since I thought of him. In fact, I thought he had died many, many years ago. She said, well, he didn't forget about you. In fact, he asked about you often. Every time he saw me, he would ask how you were doing. He'd reminisce about the many days that you spent over on his side of the fence, was how he used to say it. And Jack said, well, I, I, man, I love that old house that he lived in. 
She said, you know, Jack, after your father died, Mr. Belzer stepped in and made sure that you had a, a man's influence in your life. And Jack said, well, he was the one who taught me carpentry. I wouldn't even be in this business if it wasn't for him. He spent a lot of time teaching me things that he thought were important. And so, Mom, I'm going to be there. I'm going to fly across the country, and I'll be there at the funeral on Wednesday. As busy as he was, he kept his word. He was on the next flight to his hometown and Mr. Belzer's funeral. It was small and uneventful. Most of his uh, family ha had already passed on and he had no kids of his own. And the night before he had returned home, Jack and his mom stopped by to see the old man's house once again. Standing in the doorway, Jack paused for a moment. It was, it was like crossing over to another dimension, back to his childhood days. And he crossed over, and the house was exactly the way he remembered it. Every step held memories, every picture, every piece of furniture. And Jack stopped suddenly, and his mom said, what's wrong? He said, well, the box is gone. She said, what box? There was a small gold box that he kept locked on his desk. And I must have asked him a thousand times what's inside. All he would ever tell me was, inside that box is the thing I valued most. And he never told me. Now it's gone. Everything was exactly the way he remembered the house, except for the box. The box was missing. He figured that one of Mr. Belzer's distant relatives must have taken it. He said, man, now I'm never going to know what was so valuable to him. And he wakes up the next morning as an early flight home. And it had been about two weeks since Mr. Belzer's funeral. And he comes home and he, uh, from work one day and he discovers a note in the mailbox. And the note said, signature required on a package. No one's at home. Please stop by the main post office within the next three days. And so early the next day, Jack uh, goes to retrieve the package. And it was a small box. It was old, looked like it had been mailed 100 years ago. And the handwriting was difficult to read, but the return address caught his attention. Mr. Harold Belzer. Jack took the box out to his car, ripped open the package, and there inside was the gold box with an envelope. Jack's hands shook as he read the note. The note read, Upon my death, please forward this box and its contents to Jack Bennett. It's the thing I valued most in my life. A small key was taped to the letter. His heart was racing. His tears filled his eyes. He felt like a child again as Jack carefully inserted the key and opened up the box. And there inside he found a beautiful pocket watch. It was gold. And running his fingers slowly over the finely etched casing, he unlatched the cover. And inside he found these words engraved. Jack, thanks for your time. Harold Belzer. The thing he valued most was his time with him. Jack held the watch for a few minutes. He called his office, canceled every appointment for the next three days. His assistant said, why are you canceling everything? He said, because I need to spend time with my son. Sarah and I were talking this past week. that someday we'll miss this season because we have so much time with our family, so much time with me, Sarah, and the kids. Someday we'll miss it. Sure, it's hard sometimes being together 24-7, but we will miss these days. We'll never forget being together this much, and we'll probably never be together this much again. So let's enjoy it. Let's become relationship 
rich. Let's grow closer to God and to each other every day. Would you consider that as well? Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us, that you call us to love those around us, you call us to love our family and our friends. Open up our eyes to see the beauty and wonder that is always before us. There is so much more beauty in the hearts and minds and faces of our children and loved ones than in the great outdoors. Thank you, God, that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you call us, you have a purpose for us. Help us to discover that anew in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.